0: On my pillow that won't dry on their own beyond my ears. I've no sorrow, but today I don't walk alone. Yeah, because I'm on the road road. to recovery step by step.
1: Welcome to the Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Now for our joke, here's Trey. Hi,
2: I'm Trey. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, this is Take Me to Your Sponsor. This is AA, uh, Great Brain Approved Literature. Dear Alcohol, we had a deal You're going to make me funnier, handsomer, more intelligent, and a better dancer. I saw the video. We need to talk.
1: (laughs) I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Benzi. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take the moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise that might distract others. Take this time to get connected to God, let the craziness of the day drift away, and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's start the meditation. let's say the fog light prayer. God, God, let your love shine through me like a fog light. and find your love through me. There's a solution from the big book, page 17. A tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered the common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in broadly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who from alcoholism. I have asked Luke to read Appendix to His Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one. So it's kind of important to know what one is.
2: Hi, Luke, alcoholic. Happy Thursday. Um, Spiritual Experience. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is er erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among a rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions of our members, find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God Consciousness. Most empathetically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thank you. Thank you,
1: Luke. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking, by talking, constantly getting up, and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones in airplane mode or meeting mode, or just turn them off. And now please help me welcome our speaker tonight, Peter.
3: Okay. My name is Peter, recovered alcoholic. Uh, grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, welcome to our friends from Philly. Uh, welcome to uh, Florida, where you get like five hours of sun during the day and a hurricane at night, and uh, back to normal tomorrow. Um, it's nasty out there. Great to, grateful to be here uh, and continue this uh, walk with all of you um, and sharing with you my experience, strength, and hope. Uh, not only with the fellowship uh, but with this work out of the big book experientially passing on what was freely given to me and continues uh, uh, I continue to get whether it's from a sponsor or, or just listening to other folks, uh, very often uh, newcomers have more to say than some of us who've been around a while because they're more raw and authentic. And sometimes we're around here a while and the ego takes over. We think we have to sound like Moses every time we open our mouth. So I, I'm grateful for all of it. Uh, June 23rd, 1988 is when God uh, separated me from alcohol. I'm very grateful for uh, this gift of sobriety. And... Um, very grateful for so many things, and um, even though there's times I left claw marks and many of the things God has removed from me, I've shared from you know a million of these podiums that uh, the older I'm getting, the longer I'm I'm sober. Uh, I I look back on many of the things God has removed from me and uh, when I get to the other side I'm very grateful for it but while I'm going through it I leave claw marks all over it because I really think I need this to survive. I need this to make me who I am and God has some other plans and um, what I've learned from that is very often the road I think I'm on uh, that's going to be good for me Uh, the path I think I'm supposed to follow all generated by this mind who wants me nowhere near God eventually pulls me away from God and uh, sometimes I really need to pay attention uh, to the walk he has me on, the, the path he has me on with all the distractions that the mind creates. My mind will create distractions with no one in the room my mind will create distractions when the health is good, the money's good, the job is good, the relationship, everything's good. There's nothing to have a narrative about. My mind will figure out a way to twist that and get me in a place of I'm uncomfortable again because that's what it does. And uh, so one of the reasons why I never tell a newcomer, bring the body and the mind will follow, it makes absolutely no sense. Um, You know, and on this journey, um, when I first got here, as I've shared with you, I had no clue about anything. I didn't even know who Bill and Bob was after seven treatment centers. I, I remember sitting in a halfway house in Wisconsin and. Um, they had these two big pictures of Bill and Bob, one of Bill and one of Bob. And if you knew and you've had uh, run-ins with the law, you would think they were two, fed- two federal agents you know, that AA's run by. And um, I looked at them. I didn't know who they were. And an old-timer said, that's Bill and that's Bob. They started this whole thing. So I put that feather in my cap, and a few weeks went by, and I'm sitting with the new guy. He had like three days, and I had like 20, so I'm like the old-timer. And uh, I'm pointing to him, look, son, that's Bill and that's Bob. And the old timer tapped me on the shows, No, 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 that's Bill and that's Bob. So I just shut up from there on end. Um, and, you know, one of the lessons I've learned is very often silence speaks louder than many words. Um, uh, Mary and I were talking about this the other day. I, I need to wait for an invitation to open up my mouth very often, which is a good thing. It's not about being shy or stuck up. But sometimes you're not welcome into the conversation until someone says, what do you think? But as an alcoholic, I need to talk about everything to everyone and make sure they believe I'm right. Um, On this journey of Alcoholics Anonymous through the book and through the 12 steps, where I don't need a degree, I don't need to be the right color, the right financial bracket, the right religion, just the spirit of willingness that's been given to me by God, eventually I start to wake up spiritually. And it isn't that uh, uh, suddenly I find God. How could I find what was never lost? But what happens on this journey is I start to uh, awaken to the power that's been there all along. And usually folks are seeing it in me or in us way before we wake up to, oh my God, my point of view has shifted on everything. That my wisdom or my faith, I should say, doesn't rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. And for a long time, I would, you know, word on the street says this and you follow it. But Alcoholics Anonymous, I kind of walk into and woke up to this power that was present all along. And for me, that's what Alcoholics Anonymous is about. And and along the way, I fell prey to, and a lot of us who've been around here will identify um, with this, that we fall prey to worshiping our emotions, having attachments to what a spiritual walk is supposed to look like and feel like and sound like, which means if I wake up one day and I'm feeling really connected, we get days like that. A little spring in your step. The account, the bank account looks good. The sun is out. I feel really good about stuff. And I go into meditation and it's a really, what I believe is a good meditation. And I read some spiritual books and therefore I deem myself as very spiritual that day. And the next day I wake up and I feel a little lethargic and it's raining out and I'm not really into reading and I deem myself as I'm ready for a relapse. And it's just the ebb and flow of life. But what I can do is my spiritual walk should look, sound, and feel this way. And if we're around here a while have been really on this path and do some studying, like if we study Thomas Merton, my experience abundantly confirms what he talks about, that sometimes on the spiritual walk I can't feel anything... I'm meditating the same amount of time. I'm reading the same books. I'm going to the same amount of meetings. I'm helping the same amount of people. I'm in contact with my sponsor just as often as I always was. But I can't feel anything. I can't hear anything. And sometimes the spiritual walk feels like I'm walking barefoot on jagged rocks. It hurts. It's uncomfortable. I'm not getting what I thought I was supposed to get. Where's my fruits for my labor? And we live life forward and understand it backwards. I need to chop wood and carry water. Keep walking, keep walking. Because what God has done, my experience has shown, is removing all my attachments to what this walk is supposed to look like. My attachments to what I think God is. Well, God is this. And if I don't get that, I don't have God. Well, who said that? My mind so without even realizing it I'm still worshipping my mind when I'm trying to get rid of it I'm still worshipping all the manifestations itself when I'm trying to get rid of them that's how sneaky this is so my job is to have no attachments where God will remove a lot of that stuff no attachments not looking for a relationship to make me okay we've all done it or the money to make me okay the promotion to make me okay because if I don't get that I'm still okay but the mind creates these narratives, and how can I really claim to be on a spiritual walk, have a contemplative life when I'm attached to everything? I mean, I did it during COVID. I turn on the news and take a political side. It's the other side that caused po- COVID, not my side. How can I possibly claim to be walking this path in the sunlight of the spirit, what 10 talks, 10 11 talk about? and have some sort of life of, that looks or feels contemplative when I'm not doing that. And again, God had to remove and remove and remove, and it hurts, it's uncomfortable. But none of that would happen if I didn't start to begin with. And through the gift of desperation, although it doesn't feel like a gift, uh, but it is a gift of desperation, a G-O-D, that I begin this walk. I don't know where I'm going, where it's going to take me to, I have no idea what I'm going to encounter. I don't know what I'm going to do for a living. I don't know if I'm ever going to be married or have enough money to buy my own food, but I'm doing step one. I'm writing and writing and writing. in step four. and They're talking about all these promises, but I don't feel anything. It seems like a lot of work, almost punitive, writing this fourth step. Now they're asking me to look at me and not blame people who did bad things to me. What's this? So I keep writing. And then one day I wake up and realize God was writing. My pen just my hand just held the pen. And who was keeping me sober during the fourth step when I ought to be drunk based on my track record? Who got me to the sponsor's house when my, my gut reaction was to bail? Got me to the sponsors. I'm here ready to hear, I'm ready to share everything with you. And we unload everything to some person in AA who we call a sponsor. The very first time through the work, um, my sponsor, up until my fifth step, I thought he walked on water. You know, he invented AA. This guy was holier than that, was incredible. And then I went to his house for step five, and my mind says, who is this guy? He's another drunk. You're not going to share this stuff. Certainly not a sex inventory. He's not getting any of it. And here it comes. And what's that power that's doing that? And by the time I I move through the rest of the steps, and there's more pruning of the tree in 6 and 7, and it's an ongoing process, until I take my last breath, God will keep working on me. It's a work in progress. When he's done working, he calls me home. But there's a lot more pruning that God's going to do in 6 and 7 to prep me to do 8 and 9, because they're such important steps. I cannot knock on someone's door loaded with me and trying to make amends, because I have to go back and make amends for the amends I just made it'll get messy. It's not about kindling a relationship that has been broken up because of my behavior in the past. It's not about, you know, we're going to go out for for dinner after this. And None of that should be there. It's I'm here because I harmed you and I need to make this right. Yeah, I know I might stay sober with it, but I'm not going there just for that reason. I'm going because God has awakened my soul to say, I harmed somebody, i got to fix that. And the real change is, our book says they'll be more interested in our, 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 our walk and our talk of spiritual discoveries. I'm walking this out, and when I show up, I sound, I look changed from the way they last saw me. I think I shared last week that my sponsor, bless his heart, my first sponsor says, anytime you go make amends, you have an appointment, dress up. Don't go with gym shorts and don't go look like you're going to commit a felony when it's all over. Shave, brush your hair, shower, put on clothes, and knock on the person's door. Say, I'm here to talk to you. Look like a recovered person. It's really important that I do that. And then God will give me the words to say to this person. And I think I also shared last week that I've never gone to someone in amends and said, hey, I'm here because if I don't do this, I'm going to drink again. That sounds like it's awfully selfish and full of me again. I'm here because I harmed you. I took something from you. I didn't show up from you or whatever it might be. And I'm here to make it right, whatever that looks like. Some of these amends took a long time. Some took 17 years. Some took longer. It's not on my calendar You know, I pray for willingness to go see Joe, and I think Joe's just going to show up. And when the first time through the work, we didn't have social media or cell phones. It was a lot more difficult to locate someone. You can find just about anyone nowadays, which I don't know if that's a good idea for new people because we can find you. Um, But it was a little bit more difficult. And so I need to be willing, and God will provide the time to go do it, if he sees fit, except one to do so would injure them or others. And a few of them took longer. What, what I'm, okay. Where I'm getting pulled to right now is to share. As I'm making amends and starting to wake up, we kind of move into step 10. Things change. We've been awakened. We've had a spiritual awakening as the result of the 12 steps. By the time I get to 10, I've had a spiritual awakening. I've had a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism, yeah? And 10-11 is about maintaining and growing, and 12 is about giving it away. But like doors will open up that would never open up prior to that. We're seeing different, I'm hearing different, we're speaking different. Our behavior uh, uh, shows that we're in this light, People will be gravitated towards us, will find attraction to different type of people than when I first came in. We'll be more approachable usually. There'll be a trust that'll be built without me doing anything. And sometimes it starts right in our own home where we did the most damage. It's interesting I get new guys come to me, they want to right away go make amends to the ex girlfriend that they knew for six months, but to mom and dad they're gonna put that on the shelf for a while. That's not how this works. And so I made amends to, I was sharing last week with, with my brothers and my dad, and um, I remember uh, I finally had my, my first apartment. Now, my dad and, my, and, and I, our relationship was, was sketchy at best growing up. I mean, it was a, he, was, he was rough with me, he was tough with me. It wasn't warm and fuzzy. And uh, during my years of uh, of using, it got really messy. And there was this this uh, 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 this building up when I first got sober. A book talks about there's a long period of reconstruction ahead. We must take the lead. That I'm sorry doesn't work anymore. And that if I make amends for something, I might see it from the outside. I don't realize how it hurt them internally. Like when I stole from my dad, I remember him telling me it wasn't the money. I just couldn't believe my my son stole from me. That's a deep wound. How do I fix that? How do I do that with my brothers and and such? And I had this apartment, and and one day there was a ring at the doorbell, and I'll never forget this. uh, My dad was standing at the door, and he said, can I come in? And I said, come on in. And he saw me walk in this walk, thanks to you and God, and cleaning up the wreckage of my past. And I had just gotten this little apartment. It was a little studio apartment where if you walk two feet, you hit a wall. It was one of those really tiny little boxes in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. But it was mine. I, I, I remember the, the very first night um, I got in there, um, a, woman, uh, a lady in AA gave me a sleeping bag. I had no furniture. Congratulations, honey. I heard you got your first apartment. And bless the old timers, the ladies, because they, they, they kind of mothered me in here. I mean that in a good way. They they took care of me. And she says, come to my car. She opened up the trunk. She gave me a sleeping bag. Now, I'm from Brooklyn. I I don't know sleeping bags. I almost strangled myself getting into this thing. But a sleeping bag. And I bought a bunch of AA bumper stickers. You know, it's called bumper stickers. I had them on the wall. First things first. Easy does it. I had a crucifix above my door because I'm a Catholic. I had a Bible and a big book. Till this day, I still have that Bible. And till this day, I don't know where that Bible came from. I picked it up somewhere and I had a big book. I had a sponsor and I had a job. There was no TV, no shades on the, there was nothing. It was a box except for the sleeping bag. And I got into the sleeping bag that night and I looked at the cross above the door, my little AA bumper stickers. I was gainfully employed. I had a home group. Um, I'm going to meetings. I'm sober. And I paid for this place out of my own paycheck. I had a big book and a Bible. I slept like I was at the Ritz-Carlton that night. Then I get sober and I need things. i got to buy stuff. If I don't have my stuff, I'm not good. And there was a knock at the ring of bell, and my dad said, can I come in? And what he had, on, a box on the one arm, box on the other arm, and it was um, one box had those, you know when you go to the store and they have like a serving for four, the trays, the cups, the whole thing, like a starter kit for a guy like me. And under the other arm was a coffee pot, the old Mr. Coffee coffee pots. And he came in, and i 'm a nervous wreck i 'm in close quarters with this guy, and he was really intimidating and uh, he had a rep, a big reputation. I knew it. I grew up with him. he was intimidating to be around and i 'm in this little studio apartment, so i 'm washing out the coffee pot as I make a pot of coffee, and um, was sitting down, I had a little round table not like a big uh, uh, kitchen table, a little round table. You sit one chair and one chair, and that was it. That's all I had. This is really too close for me. So I pour the coffee, and I'm, I'm sweating, and my dad's eyeballing me. And I'm going, oh, no, he thinks I'm drunk. He thinks I'm high. I said something stupid. I'm in trouble, something from the past, and I'm having coffee. I'm jittery enough. Now I'm drinking coffee, and he's just eyeballing me months later he told me why he was eyeballing me and he said to me I could not believe that I was sitting there with my son having a cup of coffee and he was sober he says it boggled his mind that this was actually happening for him not for me for him the power of the work in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, takes me to the greatest power called God that does things like this, which we can never do on ourselves. If I would have invited my dad over, I would, I would have made it look good, sound good. It would have been a show. And this was organic as you can get. There was a surprise ring at the doorbell. I'm at attention. I'm okay. Got nothing to hide. You know, I'd have to stuff stuff in the closet. And there we were. And that type of stuff has followed me through times where, you know, things are going really good with the Korean finances and things are terrible with the Korean finances. I'm able to, thank you, God, chop wood and carry water and be fairly consistent. My, I had a sponsor, Mark Houston. He said, how consistent are we? We can sound and look really good in a meeting, but then we go to the store. We don't look like that person anymore. How consistent are we? And if we're locked into God, I'll be consistent all the time. Our book talks about not to dodge our creditors, to be afraid of them. Well, when you first get sober, a lot of us, I heard enough of the stories, we got credit problems. And I would get calls, and sometimes those credit folks, I don't know how they are now, thank God they don't contact me anymore, but they were pretty aggressive. And I'd be afraid, and I'd get tight and not want to answer the phone or I hang up the phone I tell my sponsor, I'm all jammed up over this. Let's go to the big book. Why don't you just get honest with them and tell them where you've been and why you've been slow to pay or delinquent? I couldn't believe it. I get a call. It's from a creditor. I'm sober a short time. He's, listen, here's my story. I'm willing to work the best deal possible. I don't have this kind of money now. I'm working now. Can we work something out? They worked out a deal with me. I've never been afraid of that stuff again. I don't like bills. (laughs) I hate when they come in. I don't like paying my rent. It's annoying. (laughs) But I pay them. Sometimes I pay bills with mirrors. I don't know how I do it. But I pay No one's called. No collectors. I'm not afraid of that anymore. One of the promises in the book. It talks about fear, financial insecurity will leave us. It doesn't mean I'm going to hit lottery. It just means there's an under. Once I get angry and uncomfortable, there's an undercurrent, and my wife and I have walked through this many times. An undercurrent. We're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. That's a God thing. That I didn't have when I first got here. Yeah. Making amends is not... For me, my experience is not just going to someone and making amends. Okay, that's done. I have to be afraid anymore. I don't do that stuff anymore. But it has opened up a lot of doors for me and really kind of opened up my soul. Where I'm not so intimidated by people anymore. I used to be so intimidated by people who had a college education. I spent 10 minutes in college. I don't have any letters in front of my name and the business I'm in is credential-driven business. I'm a high school grad. And I would speak into people who have letters in front of their name, who went to maybe a really fancy college and they were in a, a business uh, discussion, or financial people who can just roll off numbers like it was nothing. I need 20 people to help me count to 10. I'm not good with that stuff. And I would, I'm would i not going to go. I'd just be quiet. i I kind of, you know recoil. And little by slowly, I am who I am. This is it. You know how to do this well? I can do that well. We can have a partnership. I remember speaking to an old boss. He was just one of these guys like no matter what he put his hands on was successful. And he was, he was fearless in his visions. He said, I'm going to build this and go do it. And I said to him one day, how do you do that? How do you just have a vision and go build something, know the money, know the cost and just go, how do you do that? And he said to me, how do you do what you do? He said, I can't do what you do stand in front of people and speak I'd rather not show up and it was a lesson for me that God has given every one of us little things to follow his path with that we're going to do okay with and also the things I don't do okay with God has got me to a place if I can ask someone I'm not good with this can you help me which I've been able to do whether it's with friends that are really close to me speaking with Mike Chase sometimes or sitting with my wife and say, I'm afraid, I don't know what to how do. How do we do this? I don't know how to do this. That's a great thing to be that way. There's something I want to share with you. I'll get further into this step um, before I forget. Someone presented this to me, and I thought it was so good for us as alcoholics. And it, it, it's from scripture, so just. Bear with me. And th- this is how it goes. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were before you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God uh, chose the foolish things out of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things out of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things and the world uh, of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. And I thought of like how I walked in here. Um, weak. Uh, I didn't have an education. I certainly wasn't born of noble truth. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. You know, My family were street people, like a lot of us. There was no cot launch when I showed up. somewhere. Oh, that's Pete, let him in. Except for Alcoholics Anonymous. And somehow Alcoholics Anonymous and God took all those things that were a heavy ba- uh, knapsack and turned them into pearls. Which is what God does in Alcoholics Anonymous. So as I'm cleaning up uh, my past, um, our book talks about we've entered the world of the spirit. And this is where everything begins to change. I start to have a... a, a a greater level of awareness if you will and I'm able to be of service to other people it's interesting um, I'll see someone who's maybe has working out a lot takes really good care of themselves, really good diet, they look fabulous. I mean, oh my God, they, how do they do that? They look fabulous, they eat good, they're always in good shape, and I, I want to get close and find out what they're doing, and then I start to develop a relationship with them, and I find out the reason why they're doing all of that is because of vanity driven by fear. Well, maybe I see the person who's working two and three jobs and they got tons of money and they're always working, they're always building hours and hours at the office. I go, oh my God, what a go-getter. How do you get it? I got to get around people like that. I need to be more like that. And then you get close to them, you find out what's driving them is greed driven by fear. And both parties are never okay. Then you get someone else who's low-key, just walks in with a flannel shirt and jeans and construction boots, and the world is great. Doesn't need to chase anything because they're okay in here. Entering the world of the Spirit gives me that kind of vision, that kind of truth. I get to see things as they are because all wrongdoing arises out of the mind. Once the mind is transformed, can wrongdoing exist? Probably not we vent to the world of the spirit. My next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. What does that look like? Is my thought life creating my current reality? Based on where I am spiritually and life happens that will become paramount than just another day in the life of Peter Marinelli. And if I'm not writing inventory, if I'm not discussing my day with someone, that stuff starts to add up, becomes plaque on the soul. And I'm wondering why I'm blocked again, why I can't connect again. I love the analogy, if I put a sheet of loose leaf in that door over there, that door is unaffected, it'll open and close. If I put a couple of sheets of loose leaf in that doorway, that door will still be unaffected, it'll open and close. If I put a whole ream of paper in there, that door is not working. One resentment, no big deal. Two resentments, I can, I can figure it out. A couple of fears, I'm still okay. And then suddenly one day I'm jammed up and I can't function. I'm locked down because of me and my stuff. I've gotten so far away from home base, I don't even know what it, what it, what it looks like anymore. What am I doing to grow in an understanding and effectiveness? Well, for me, step 10 is like four through nine. We've heard that many times. I hate the word maintenance because it's kind of like staying as it is, and if it stays as it is, uh, it's going to get murky. I'm care- the, for me the word maintenance was always care of the soul. What am I doing for the soul? For the soulful walk? What kind of soul food am I getting? Um, how much of my day is my mind owning me? You know, It's interesting the 11th step, it says on awakening. It doesn't say wake up around 7 and around 10, talk to God. Because that means for the last three hours, an idiot, me, has been running my life. We can make drunk calls sober, by the way, if we're untreated. We start calling people. I got to talk to you what you did last night. Then we pray, uh-oh, I'm going to make an amends. That was out of line. But there's a reason why a book talks about on awakening. So I can get God, if you will, I get God involved with my day. I awaken to, I approach God. God, please take my life today. And as I go through my day, step 10 talks about looking at this inventory where I was dishonest, and frightened. Because if I'm acting out of self, I'm probably going to hurt people. I'm going to say something stupid. I'm not going to show up. I have selfish and self-seeking motives while I'm supposed to be growing in understanding and effectiveness. And perhaps maybe I said something that was inappropriate or didn't show up like I said, and I need to make amends. So what, for me, step 10 is always keeping the slate pretty clean and clear for me. Continue to take personal inventory, and when we are wrong, promptly admitted it. What does that look like currently for me? Step 10, let me just get to it here. Yeah. It says, uh, we suggest we continue to take personal inventory, continue to set right in any mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We've entered a world of the Spirit. Experientially, can I talk to someone about what it feels like and looks like in the world of the Spirit? If I'm cleaning up amends, and I'm, I'm looking to clean up more amends... And I even get to a place where I, I'm, currently I can say I have no outstanding amends to make that I'm aware of, where the slate is clean. Now what does that look like in the world of the spirit where my past is not dictating what I do now? I'm not listening to voices. There's no remorse. There's no guilt. There's no attachment. There's no bondage. I really am free. The mind doesn't like freedom. It'll try to figure something out to get me attached again. What does it look like if I'm finally sitting on my couch on a rainy night like tonight and say, oh my God, it's so cozy in here. i got a roof over my head, watching TV, having dinner with my wife. It's pouring out. I remember panhandling in the pouring rain. This is totally cool. I like this. Compared to, oh my God, it's raining. Oh, I can't go here. I can't go there. I can't do that. That's not living in the world of the spirit. There's a great uh, book called uh, Tuesdays with Maury and it was written by the sports writer from Detroit and he would spend Tuesday with this guy Maury and uh, Maury had Lou Gehrig's disease and he was dying and this author Mitch would go see him once a week and he says he was on his way to his house and he 's on the phone and he 's got a deadline to make, and he 's got offers to take another job and he 's got all the corporate stuff going on in the head and it 's raining out and he 's annoyed with the rain he 's trying to drive on the highway and he just i 'm done with all of this and he walks in and there 's Maury sitting by the window in a wheelchair, and he can 't can 't even feed himself and he sits down next to him. maury goes isn 't the rain absolutely beautiful? Listen to it and he realized he was missing everything. Living in the moment in the world of the spirit. I can't do that if I'm full of me. If I'm consumed with me, how can I experience God? If I'm consumed with me, how can I be present to the moment? If I'm consumed with me, I don't have a relationship with anyone because it's about me anyway. My next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. It's not an overnight matter. I'm going to commit to this for a lifetime, one day at a time. talks about love and tolerance as our code I thought I knew what that meant when I first got sober but the truth is true until we discover a new truth love and tolerance unconditional love you don't have to do anything for me we're on the same boat together you need me as much as I need you unconditional love it'd be great if the planet operated that way there's no motive no self-seeking if I can get to see someone, the spirit in someone the way I want them to see the spirit in me, everything's really cool. And the tolerance, I thought I had to tolerate someone's really inappropriate behavior and just suck it up. Well, not necessarily. A spirit of tolerance is when I see someone acting inappropriately and I realize I did the same thing when I came in and they only know what they know. Instead of condemning them, I go with sit down, pull them a couple of coffee and say, this is how we do it here. Teach them. You got folks out there, the tradition, Nazis, if you break a tradition, they want to ban you from AA. When the guy didn't even know he was breaking the tradition, instead of calling him and saying, listen, it's AA, we don't do that here. You can do what you want, but I'm just setting the tone for you. That's teaching. That's love and tolerance. And if I was mayor of AA, (laughs) you know how we read how it works at at almost every meeting? Almost every meeting you go to read how it works. And we've heard it so many times, we don't even hear it anymore. You check in your phone, you get more coffee, oh, I hate the way this person reads how it works, I'll go smoke a cigarette, come back when they're done. It's like how it works, it's just you don't even see it. Like how many times we walk into a meeting, and get the 12 and 12, up. we don't even see that anymore sometimes. It's just wallpaper. I always thought of, and how it works is important to read that, but if I'm a new guy sitting there, and I got this thing on my back that wants me to drink drink, get out of this meeting and go drink and I'm drinking as soon as this meeting's over I've been fighting the obsession and holding off for dear life am I going to make it to midnight, am I going to wake up is still going to be up, when is it going to end when is this screaming to go have a drink going to end, they keep reading this how it works, I don't even know what that means and we read this to a newcomer and we cease fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol for by this time, sanity, wholeness of mind, living in the truth, one word God, will have returned. If it's returned to me, that means there was a point in my life where I had it. The same way when the book says we will outgrow fear, is it possible I actually grew into fear? Yeah. So it's going to be returned to me. Because when I was 10 years old, I wasn't thinking about a double vodka. But by the time I was 25, that's all I can think of is getting drunker. For by this time, Sandy will have returned. I'll seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, I recoil from it as from a hot flame. I react sanely and normally and find that this has happened automatically. I don't have to do anything. It's brought to me. I have to think it through, play the TTM. Remember, I come from Keeper Green. This is just part of God's abundance in feeding me this type of outlook. I will see that my new attitude toward liquor has been given to me without any thought or effort on my part. It just comes. This is the miracle of it. I'm not fighting it. Neither am I avoiding temptation. I feel as though I've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. I haven't even sworn the stuff off. And here it is. Here's a stake call recovered. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for me recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism now what what follows up is some of the warnings that I can rest on my laurels, you know I've arrived I could put the, the AA car in neutral and coast for a while but it says I'm headed for trouble if I do and that's when the ego starts to sneak in again some of us You know, when we're little ones, I don't know if the ego was really flaring for a lot of us, there comes a point in a journey where we touch the ego for the first time. The same way we wake up one day and realize, I'm different than everyone else. These people drink occasionally, I gotta drink all the time. I'm always looking for something, I need excitement, I need juice, I need something, and everyone else is going home, don't go home. Remember those days? I remember I was about uh, oh Lord maybe seven, and I, I lived in a town called Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, and it was kind of like the country back in the day. It was it was time it was the sixties where you know you could put your bike in front of your house and come out a few hours later it was still there. Leave your door open and neighbors would watch. It was kind of really cool, and uh, I had a, a best friend of mine who's passed on, and his name was Joey, and. Um, in the summertime when school was out, he would roll into my driveway and we put baseball cards on the spokes of the wheels so they'd sound like, you know, like an engine. And he'd roll in around maybe 7 o'clock in the morning with his pajamas on and his bed hair and the whole thing. He'd yell up. We had no phones, no computers. He'd say, hey, call someone, you yell. And he'd come in my driveway, I open up the window, I'll be right down, run out in my pajamas, hop on a bike barefoot, and we'd go for bike rides. Mom and Dad didn't worry about it. We were kind of safe. My mom got hip to what I was doing and would leave sometimes a quarter on a counter and we'd go to uh, 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 Max's uh, luncheonette candy store and get some candy, go home, and my mom would make breakfast. We'd go swimming in the pool. Sounds like a pretty cool time. Pretty innocent, yeah? And we did this every morning during summertime. And one morning we are at Max's Candy Store and um, my friend Joey was outside waiting for me with his bike and I'm making my way out in my pajamas barefoot. And some older guy, he was probably like 30. But when you're that age, 30 is almost dead. So, you know, <laughs> right? And um, he saw two kids in pajamas barefoot and I remember he said something like look at these two kids in their pajamas riding bikes he probably got a kick out of it like most of us would see little kids on their bikes early in the morning what I heard was look at these two losers better look at Peter Marinelli a loser barefoot his hair's a mess how come they don't have jobs yet I swear to God I remember that day I was mortified. My heart was beating through my chest, and it was the first time I felt real shame of my appearance. I' got to do something with this my life. I'm seven. <laughs> my friend Joey was completely unaffected by it, like most kids would be unaffected by it never rode again in the neighborhood with my friend Joey for the rest of the summer or ever again. And when he rolled into my driveway the next morning, I lied. My mom don't want me driving. I don't feel good. Let's go swimming instead. He was like my best friend at that age. He, he was eight and I was seven. So I never did that again. And we lived life forward and understand it back. It was the first time I, I walked right into ego. And that ego, that mind took over. I remember my mom saying, oh, my son, he would never uh, look sloppy or dirty. He's a neat freak. Because of what happened, no one's going to see me in a compromised position again. I get dressed. I like getting dressed now. I, I, I like that. But less for what are they going to think of me. I just like getting dressed. Dressed for me. It might not be dressed for someone else. I like combing my hair. I like being clean shaven for me. But back then it was like, no one's going to see me this way again. That ego made me have to be extra great just to feel normal. What bondage until I discover alcohol? Now I believe I'm great. Now I feel great. And I need more. And it took me the same way what I think those assets and people were, with the thing that had to get removed, that thing I thought was an asset brought me to my knees in 1988. That's not living in the world of the Spirit. But cleaning up the wreckage of my past and walking this path and a thirst, a hunger for God, to get right with God, to live in the world of the Spirit, to come under God's authority and to do whatever he needs me to do, and knowing I'm going to miss it very often, but he's very forgiving. He knows I'm going to miss it but I saddle up and keep moving because I love the effect produced by God I like relationships where I don't see a friend maybe every so often and we can connect that's freedom I have to walk and hide I remember reading something I, I, I forget the name of the book but if we knew, the author says if we knew who walked with us all the time we would never ever be afraid again Mm. This, it, it, there's so much more, there's so much more to this than what the book says. I have to follow instructions. Yeah, I'm with a sponsor. And I methodically go through this book. No attachment's going to look like, but the layers and the layers and the layers, and the amount of freedom that's brought to me. And we could talk about this with the whole workshop on it. Freedom from bondage. And the bondage is me, right up here in the head. When I start to listen less to the head, I can't say never to the head, but less to the head and be guided by this power called God. Yeah, To be more forgiving, to be more understanding, to be more compassionate, that comes from God. To be critical and judgmental, gossiping and backstanding, that comes from me. I don't want that guy around anymore. I don't want to talk to that guy anymore. I just want to put him away. I'm not cured, but I get recovered. So that guy will always be hovering in the background somewhere, waiting to pounce. I don't want to give him any power. So it's a daily surrender. And I will tell you, uh, as of tonight, I, I no amends that I can think of, oh God, I've got to get in touch with this one or that one and clean something up. Now, tomorrow's a new day. There might be a list. But as of tonight, I I tell you, to be able to tell you, and I'm no better than anyone in this room, to walk free. I can go, our book talks about go anywhere on this, uh, anywhere, um, I forget the exact quote, but free to go anywhere. That's a pretty powerful uh, thought. If I have a reason to be there, I don't have to worry about who I owe money to, or who I harmed, or any of that stuff. Head up and shoulders square. My dad always told me walk head up and shoulders square. I'm able to do that a day at a time today. So very grateful. We're out of time. That's all I got. Peace.
1: All right. Let's thank the speaker one more time. <laughs> Now, here's Ryan with the secretary's Report.
4: <laughs> Hi, I'm, I'm Ryan. I'm a recovered alcoholic secretary. Hey. Uh, in keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. Uh, we also have QR codes on the backs of the chairs. If you'd rather give that way, uh, you can do Venmo. Um, As the baskets are going around, I've asked Isabel to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in AA identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. So let's welcome up Isabel. Hi, family. I'm Isabel, a recovered alcoholic. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured that presents a conflict to some alcoholics if we were cured we would be able to drink responsibly no we are not cured the allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime but we have to have been restored to sanity that was the problem we are now seeing where alcohol is concerned consequently we have recovered Thank you, Isabel. 1940s-style big book sponsorship from the forward of the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experienced is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back into his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. Does anybody need a sponsor? If you raise your hand. All right. If you're too shy, just come up to the front after the meeting and someone will talk to you. Can the recovered alcoholics please raise your hand? Awesome, if your hand's not raised, talk to someone whose hand is. We have a couple announcements. Uh, Intergroup is where you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. Intergroup is also responsible for creating our where and when, and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't get to AA meetings, such as jails, detoxes, and rehabs. They meet monthly to organize the meeting schedules at the 12-step house. Does anybody here from BCIC? No. All right, we have uh, more information on that in the back if you, if you need it. Uh, we also have some upcoming service opportunities. Uh, the next gratitude dinner planning meeting is going to be on Saturday, September 24th. At the Fourth Dimension Club in Hollywood, uh, I've also heard that if you want to go to the gratitude dinner, then you have to be on the gratitude dinner planning com- committee. Yeah, uh, the intergroup picnic is going to be on Sunday, October 29th. Um, tickets are ten dollars or three for twenty-five. And then October 27th to 29th is the second annual Bull and China Shop Corral. And we have Peter next week doing his 10th session, I think. So uh, definitely come back and check that out. Hopefully the weather will hold out. And then October 19th, we have Stevie B doing a special guest spot for us. Uh, so you're going to want to check that out as well. And then Monday nights, we have our primary purpose big book study on the third floor of this same building. Uh, it starts at 7.15, fellowship starts at 6.30, and there's cookies. So you're going to want to come. And that's it. All right. We have CDs, mugs, large print, big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale on the back on the table. Uh, we broke out some more mugs. So if you're interested in getting mugs, we're doing uh, a special tonight, one for seven or two for 14. Um, you're going to need to buy a couple because we're going to make you all take home some spaghetti and lasagna with you, and you're going to need something to hold it. Um, We meet every Thursday, starting promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Also, uh, if you're looking for a little service to do tonight, uh, we have to bring out five tables and also push forward the last two rows of chairs uh, so we can put out the five tables. Um, Then we're going to need to put six chairs around each table, I think. Um, So if you want to stay around afterwards, we could use your help. All right, thank you. See you next week.
1: Tonight's session, and all past speaker podcast at alcoholicsandgod.org. I would like everyone to come Monday to our biblical study. It's three floors up. And those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up center aisle.
4: Let's all circle up and close with the Lord's Prayer. All right. We're going to take a moment of silence for the alcoholics still sick and suffering in and out of the rooms. Who kept us sober today? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name,
5: thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but to the rest of the people. The thine is the kingdom, the power, and
6: the I am desperately in need of Restoration i okay.
7: Oh, when you're smiling, when you're smiling, the whole world smiles with you, baby. Yes, when you're laughing.
8: Set you. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
9: I think you know this one, don't you?